Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. We're joined today by director Martin Dorn. He is the director of a new documentary film called My Garden of a Thousand Bees. In it, Martin sets out to record all of the bee species in this tiny urban garden of Bristol, England, filming with a -a one-of-a-kind lens he forged at his kitchen table. He catalogs more than 60 different species, from Britain's largest bumblebees to scissor bees the size of a mosquito. The film is called My Garden of a Thousand Bees, and once again, we're joined by Martin Dorn, the director. Martin, welcome to Film School Radio. Well, hello. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I just want to say one thing. Technically, I wasn't the director. There was a director who who was very instrumental in the later stages in terms of, uh, you know, unthreading uh, all the pictures and uh, and my words are going off in all directions and putting it together into a narrative, which was really significant because what that meant was I was able to focus much more on just getting the material and and understanding it. And so, uh, you know, many films, most films really are always a collaboration. So I'd have to mention Dave Allen, who directed the, the latter stages of it. The first stage of it, we just kind of started filming because we didn't know what we we're going to find. So we didn't really have a plan and it was a wonderful experience. Well, just for the sake of um, accuracy, how would you characterize your role what would you say you were cinematographer or, well, uh, I, or collaborator I mean, you know i was joint producer director and okay. cinematographer i mean ultimately um you know in wildlife often the roles that are normally very distinct in the in other parts of the film business are quite uh blurred in the sense that you know everyone does a bit of everything and it's all mixed up but but ultimately um you know it was my idea and the story kind of went the way that you know i just followed the leads in the garden and ultimately um then i had this huge pile of material uh of thoughts and words and pictures and then i met up with the director dave allen and the editor steve white and that that is by the way we couldn't have even got to that stage unless we had the involvement of HHMI and PBS in the USA who, you know, because we had started the film, we couldn't have even finished it without their help. But anyway, once all that came together, then Dave Allen and the editor, Steve White, kind of sat with it for sort of six months to try and work out how the hell to put it all together in a, into a, a simple, concise narrative that only lasted 50 minutes. I recorded 900 hours of... Uh, film footage and uh, I selected that down and I think they probably had something like I don't know 150 hours to work from so that gives you an idea of the scale of the job well you let's dive in let's dive into this story because there is it's just a wonderful setting which uh, giving credit to you and your garden for being the place where this is all filmed what puts you on to the idea to do this? Why Why did you want to go out and start filming in your garden? 
Well, uh, there, there's a few things involved. I mean, the first was that about 10 years ago, I noticed that there were some wild bees in the garden and I didn't actually know much about them. So I had a still camera and I set about trying to take pictures of them, good sharp pictures that I could use for identification. I mean, scientists, uh, you know, any entomologist will tell you that you can't do identification from photos really uh, and that you need specimens. Well, I wasn't going to... Um, catch any I wasn't going to interfere with them at all because my question was quite simply how many species are there in the garden that's it just seemed like you know I seemed to have a few and I thought well maybe I've you know let's find out so I started taking the pictures and discovered that taking pictures of bees is actually quite hard uh, but many thousands of photos later I did come to the conclusion that there was something like 60 species in the garden but as a filmmaker, you know, it's like I'm not a photographer so much as a filmmaker, and it always occurred to me that a film would be possible about uh, wild bees because that's what they were as opposed to honeybees. And the thing is that I've got a lot of friends, uh, you know, uh, uh, from different walks of life, you know, uh, and we meet up um, often on a Friday evening in the pub, and I said to them, you know, I've got 60 species of bee in my garden. And they sort of said, really? I mean, I didn't, I didn't know there were that many species of bee or, you know, the interest was, I, I was very surprised at the level of interest. And I realized that, you know, maybe there is a kind of a natural interest in the wider world about bees. And so the question then would be, well, why, why doesn't anybody know about bees then if people are so interested? And the answer is actually wild bees, that is, as opposed to honeybees, the answer is it turns out they're quite difficult to observe because actually they're very leery. They don't like being watched. They're very fast and they often do stuff in the ground or in burrows. So in fact, that's one good reason why nobody knew more. And so then the question for me was, well, can I add anything to this? So I spoke to some broadcasters and I said, you know, well, I could, they said, what do you want to do now, Martin? I said, well, you know, I could make a film about wild bees in my garden and they just showed absolutely no interest whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't push the subject simply because I knew that it actually it would be very difficult. So I just, you know, left it alone. And um, I got on with. I was actually doing something else. Uh, I was doing something to do with wetlands. I was investigating a film about wetlands. And then, of course, along came COVID, and I realised that first of April in Britain. Um, our lockdown happened, I think, 28th of March, I think. On the 28th of March, I saw, I'd saw i seen it coming, so I had brought equipment home and uh, I was wondering what the hell, you know, what the hell I was going to do. But on the 1st of April, it was locked down. The sun was out. There were interesting bees in the garden, but also the season was just the bee season early on in the year moves very ra rapidly. The species change quite, you know, in a matter of days, some species sort of appear and then they, you know, they have a sort of three day burst of activity and then it's all over. So on the 1st of April, I had to either, you know, um, I had to um, start or forget the idea. And so it was COVID, what else was I gonna do? So I started filming bees and I talked to some friends who are in a production company in London, Passion Pictures, and uh, they said, said, well, you know, great, you know, if you get anything good, let's do something. But for the first month, really, it was down to me actually getting some good behavior. And that's where, you know, that's where I really came up against the sort of 
you know, the huge mountain to climb of actually how to record behavior because without behavior, there'd be no story. I couldn't just make a film of sort of pretty pictures of bees on flowers. I really had to get into their lives and, and, you know, I had to study them. So that's how the film got going. And it, you know, by the end of April, there was momentum in the sense, well, I I'd, had recorded something uh, quite interesting and, um, uh, and passion pictures seemed quite interested. And then of course, all the broadcasters were suddenly asking everyone for lockdown film ideas and, you know, inevitably quite a few were going to be back garden films. And um, anyway, we passed through that hurdle and uh, there was a very long, uh, a very long period of gathering funding to continue to be able to finish it. I mean, you know, I could easily enough film all the stuff and, you know, fill up hundreds of hard drives with stuff, but, but to get from that stage to a film that you can put on the TV is is quite a long, complicated process for a, for a film like this, and that needed money. Well, one of the things in the film that makes it pop off the screen is the clarity with which you see these bees in their environment. I read where you actually worked on a particular kind of lens or developed a, a technique to allow you to get in close and see in great detail what goes on in their lives. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Well, the, the thing about bees is that, as I say in the film, they are fast. And two things. Firstly, uh, slow motion cameras had become much, much cheaper recently. So I had slow motion available to me. Uh, but secondly, slow motion is no good unless you can get the thing in focus quickly. And that's really, uh, you know, an ordinary macro lens. So if you're, you know, if you're focused on a bee with a, just an ordinary macro lens and it moves an inch forward, uh, <clears throat> you've got to do a lot of work on the focus. It's quite time, time consuming. So it's something like, you know, uh, slowed down five times. It takes five times as long. And the thing is, the bees often only stay in one place for a second or two seconds. And so you've got to be able to get it in focus quickly. So it's quite a complicated thing I built, but it uses very simple optics called relay optics. It's a similar kind of thing to what, for example, was designed for uh, submarines so that you can look through the binoculars uh, and then there's some mirrors and prisms and lenses and you can look through a periscope at the top if you see what I mean. So it's it's really that sort of system. Uh, but in order to make the image quality good and sharp, I had to try lots of different combinations. And I have been building that kind of thing for, you know, 20 years. So I had a sort of drawers full of bits of old glass and things. And luckily, I also had enough metalwork that didn't need modifying that I could either screw together or tape together. You know, it's like one of those it's a bit like one of those children's shows where they show you how to make stuff out of toilet rolls, <laughs> um, use toilet rolls. You know, in the morning, I would go and try and film something. And uh, and what I needed was essentially quite a small wide angle lens that I could get close to the bee. It needed to be small so it didn't frighten the bee too much. And because it was a wide angle lens, it meant that the focus mechanism that I could use at the other end of the system would operate very rapidly. So if the bee was, a, you know, in the distance, I could focus on that. And if it landed on the flower in front of me, I could 
snap the focus onto the bee. I didn't have to find it. Uh, and also that that is the other reason that the wide angle lens enables me to find the bee. So, you know, so I would set myself up, say, in a place where I might have five or six places where bees might go to, and I'd just sit there and wait. And I could rapidly go to each one of these. You know, it might be flowers, it might be nest holes or something like that. And that's the relatively uh, simple bit. So once I'd got that system working and I'd, I'd managed to get the quality good enough so that I could focus very close or, you know, not so close and I could change the lenses quickly, uh, you know, for wider or closer. And then I was relatively comfortable. So I just hung out in the garden with the bees, you know, just seeing what they did. The interesting thing about that, of course, is that the amount of time I spent in the garden actually changed the way the bees saw me and they became more relaxed with me. And so after about a month, I suppose, uh, you know, many of the bees were just, you know, they would, they would land on the lens or they'd land right next to it. I didn't have to stalk them or creep up on them. And, and suddenly, uh, you know, more and more opportunities for behavior, for filming behavior appeared. But at those lenses, you know, it's, I call it a megascope. It's about, um, I don't know, two feet, two and a half feet long. And I use the smallest lenses I can get, depending on the system, with a very small aperture. So I've got lots of depth of field and lots of good resolution. But that only got me halfway there. I had to then make a, a, a much smaller system that uses uh, what they call what you call board lenses. That is, you can buy them from they're the kind of lenses that people might use for scientific experiments, or they're actually very similar to the kind of lenses in your mobile phone. And so I sort of connected some of them up optically to the much bigger chips in the camera. And that meant that gave me enormous depth of field and I could focus right up to the face of a bee. And because the lens itself was barely any bigger than a bee, they never saw it as a threat. They just, you know, they'd walk on it or just, you know, brush next to it. And that I think is where is one of the places where that level of intimacy comes from. It's amazing. It's really, truly when you can look literally into the eyes of the bees in this film and, and that I'll get to that because the other part of it, which is, uh, I hate to use this word, but I can't think of another one to use, the humanizing part of the film for for uh, for someone watching to see bees in their environment and the way that they behave. It's uh, it's beautiful to watch. Just want to remind our listeners: we're speaking with Martin Dorn. He is the the collaborator, co-director, co-producer of the film. My Garden of a Thousand Bees. It's going to be released through PBS. You can go to mygardenofathousandbees.org to find out more about it. It's also part of a, a series of nature films, films about nature that are being released through nature. Do I have that right? Yes, yeah. PBS Nature. The strand is called Nature. Yeah. Uh, and it's on. it's available now on PBS. Did you feel like over the course of making this film or that not only were you filming the bees in their environment, but you were becoming a student of bee behavior. Did you feel like you were a, a, a budding entomologist by the time you got finished with this project? Where did, I mean, what did that do for you as someone went from filmmaker to someone 
who appreciates bees to the degree that I'm sure you do now? Well, I, I think, I mean, I started off my, my natural history ca- career, started off as a child collecting butterflies. And then my photographic career started off trying to photograph butterflies. And then my filming career started off, I did a lot of filming of insects. So I have filmed many insects uh, before, you know, ants, dragonflies, butterflies, all sorts of things. And I'm quite, you know, uh, I, I'm quite... Um, I'm much more entomologically uh, minded than most filmmakers. So for me, the, the idea of trying to film something small and get behavior out of it wasn't strange or new. What was strange or new was, in fact, the difficulty, the normal techniques that one would use for other creatures didn't really work for bees. They're a whole, uh, they became a whole different um, uh a whole different subject, a whole different discipline in terms of the speed with which they move. I mean, the good thing about bees, which is distinct from many other life forms, is that they don't get up early because they wait till it's got to be hot. You know, if the sun's out, it's got to be quite warm. So generally speaking, you know, with wildlife films, you have to get up before dawn and travel somewhere and it's always horrible. And then uh, you know, with bees, you can get up late, you can have breakfast, go out in the garden, see what's happening. And <laughs> uh, no, the bees aren't up yet. Oh, I think I'll go and, you know, go and do something useful. It was quite relaxing. But ultimately, that the, um, like I say, it's the, it's the speed of bees that made it a different thing. And I think does explain why nobody's really made a film about wild bees before. I mean, I think there are films, but I haven't, uh, I haven't seen much, you know, and given the importance in our lives in terms of the amount of pollination they do for our food, much of it unnoticed, uh, I have to say, um, I think it's very strange that they have been so ignored both by science. There's not a lot of science out there because they're hard to observe and there's very few films out there. Yeah, I have to say, uh, my appreciation of bees has grown over the last decade or so and come to appreciate just for the reasons that you just mentioned, the pollination and such, and been around bees enough to appreciate just the perception that you're going to be stung by a bee or that they could bring harm to you, unless it's, there are bees that certainly are more uh, of a threat to to someone. But generally speaking, and it seems to bear out in the film, that these are pretty benign creatures who have an intelligence. And, and we see that in the film. They're, one of my favorite documentaries goes back many years. It was called The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. And to be able to see over the course of the film, the, the, the quality of their life, the quality of the way that they behaved and the ways that they behaved, just that's one of the reasons why I love the film. Watching this, watching uh, My Garden of a Thousand bees reminds me of that film in that by the time we're done well at least for me by the time i was done watching it i had such a great appreciation of the intelligence and that's what i would call it of bees and their ability to navigate under very you know often very difficult circumstances that's really the big thing you know my big takeaway from making this is is the idea that uh bees are individuals 
I always joke, I say, <laughs> I say this about many of the animals I film, in fact, but, you know, bees are people too. But I don't mean that literally. What I mean, because we don't actually have the words, I don't think, to describe a being that is not like us, you know, to describe a mind. So uh, so I call them beings. Um, are they conscious? I, I have no idea. And I'm sure that even if they were, we'd have no way of quantifying it or understanding it. But they are individuals and they face the world with the tools they have and they do the best in those circumstances. And so it's not as if they are, they are blindly instinctive. And so the idea that the bees got to know me was really quite a surprise, a big surprise. And then when one bee in particular really got to know me to the point it was quite funny the way she would just, you know, check me out. Sometimes she would come and, you know, literally, if I changed the lens, she'd come and have a look at it. She'd fly around it a bit and go, oh, that's a, that's a new lens you got there. And uh, Let's, let's give her a name, Nikki. Nikki, yeah, Nikki was, Nikki was the main bee. And um, <laughs> the only way you could, you could make that work with a bee, you would have to spend, you know, a whole month sitting by, uh, uh, you know, sitting near, her nest or whatever, uh, so that she got used to it. I mean, that's not to say there aren't bees that you could film just go straight up to. So if you find, for example, there's some bees nest in dense colonies where there's thousands of them, they're, they're much easier to approach. You can get up there and you can look at them because they've got so many other bees going on and there's so much other stuff going on. They don't notice a person, if you do what I mean, in quite the same way. And so they can be fascinating to watch, but I didn't have any of that sort of thing in my garden. And so Nikki was, um, you know, a, she's a solitary bee and she's used to having a solitary life. And so anything that might be a threat to her is going to be bigger than her. So the birds, you know, if a bird comes and hops on, she'll come out of a hole. And if she sees a bird hopping around, she won't, she'll wait until yeah. she'll watch until that's gone away. And she'll also look at all the other bees and see if there are lots of other bees out and there's a bird there, she might be more relaxed because obviously the bird's not giving anybody any trouble. If there are no bees out and she looks out the hole, then uh, she'll probably wait until some other bees come out. And if the other bees are all hiding from me, then that will magnify the effect of my presence. And so if all the bees there have got used to me and they're just buzzing around getting on with life, she can then begin to, you know, change her opinion, if that's the word, if bees can have opinion, uh, she can change her opinion of me in terms of how much of a risk I am to her. It's amazing. And I think the science is so incomplete. Uh, about the world we live in, in terms of our relationship to nature, our relationship to animals, insects, whatever it might be, octopus, dolphins, whales. We are getting better about understanding their behavior and our relationship to them. And I feel like film like yours, um, My Garden of a Thousand Bees, will push that forward a bit in terms of maybe there is something more that we need to explore and find out and and uh, do our best to live in harmony with as many of these creatures as we possibly can. And um, I love the film. Terrific, terrific work. It's just a joy to watch. So, yeah, I mean, because of that, because I think 
the film opens, you know, it opens some doors possibly that weren't there before. And that's one of the reasons why HHMI Tangle Bank Studios uh, did want to invest in it because I think they felt quite strongly that it did communicate science. Well, I'm always, when people ask me about communicating science, I, I'm sort of a bit surprised because I wasn't really, you know, we weren't doing science in the in the true sense. We were just mucking around, having fun. And uh, for me, it's lovely to think that mucking around like that and testing new lenses and cameras and playing essentially has led to, you know, what some people th think is useful science. I think yeah. it's fantastic. I mean, you know, ultimately we were, um, you know, we were making observations, we were forming hypotheses and we were testing those with what we filmed. And, you know, a lot of the sort of the proof, if you like, isn't in terms of the actual images, isn't necessarily in the film. We didn't have the time to sort of, uh, you know, lay it out as kind of um, rigidly as that. But at the same time, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm really, really happy that people can, you know, find that in the film, that there is some kind of, you know, scientific content. Well, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. The film is called My Garden of a Thousand Bees. It is currently available through PBS. You can visit my garden, my garden of a thousand bees.org. Also, PBS Nature, another way to get to the film and watch it. And it's been an honor to be able to talk to you about your work. And you know, who would who knew it would be in your own backyard that you would you would make these this step in advancing the uh, our understanding of bees? And uh, Martin Dorn, thank you, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you for the film. You're very welcome, and thanks for asking. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.